global energy system is undergoing a huge transition, with the costs of renewable energy becoming more competitive versus traditional sources, along with increased public awareness and pressure. Renewable energy is becoming the mainstream energy source for many, no longer an alternative just for the progressive few. Listen each week as Brant Handley and Christian Crown, founding partners of Renew Executive Search, interview renewable energy and sustainability experts that are not only making a difference to the environment, but are also growing successful businesses. Listen and learn about what attracted these experts to renewables, why they've stayed in the sector, and how they are helping renewable companies create a better tomorrow. We know you'll enjoy these stories as much as Brandt and Christian enjoyed recording them. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are looking forward to you joining us as we dive deeper on how renewables are going mainstream. Michael Mullen is a Managing Director of Community Power Partners, who is a leading community solar customer acquisition firm active in New York and in all community solar states, but professionals of over 60 years of combined experience in the real estate development, energy sales, and renewable energy development. CPP is well positioned to leverage their expertise and offer the most compelling, effective community solar customer acquisition product on the market. Since its formation, CPP has expanded its service offering to other community solar developers, subscription management companies, and asset owners nationwide. Welcome to today's episode of Renewables Going Mainstream, Michael. Sure. Uh, I've been in the solar industry for about 11 years. Uh, prior to that, I was an institutional commodities broker on Wall Street and was uh, very intrigued by uh, solar renewable energy credits uh, in New Jersey uh, at the time. And uh, that's what got me into uh, solar energy. That quickly led me to the solar energy development uh, in New Jersey. And I live and work in New York. And when New York State started opening up for commercial development, uh, we moved our business here especially in a niche of the uh, the solar market in New York State, which is called community solar. And uh, that is the uh, the area that we are very active in and have been very active in that for about the last uh, three and a half to four years. Wow, that's great. So you had quite a few years in, in solar by now. Um, you talked a little bit about it, but could you tell us a little bit more about sort of what attracted you to the solar space? Uh, what originally attracted me to the solar space was uh, something which are called uh, solar renewable energy credits, which at the time uh, existed in New Jersey and still do. Uh, what I felt was there was an opportunity to trade those or, or to actually make a market uh, in these solar renewable energy credits, which are, are very much like a security or a commodity uh, that I used to trade uh, down on Wall Street. So I uh, was intrigued by that. I felt there was a very large market opportunity, uh, which there was, uh, but there was not enough volume uh, that was going on at the time. There just weren't enough solar projects uh, for me to make a living uh, trading these solar renewable energy credits. So because I was intrigued by solar, um, I became intrigued by developing these large projects. And uh, and that's kind of how I fell into it. What have kept you sort of into, uh, what keeps you in the development of solar projects? What excites you about the development? Well, it's just fascinating. I mean, you're basically building a renewable energy plant from nothing, um, and and that's a uh, it's a very exciting concept. Um, you know, professionally, it's extraordinarily challenging. Uh, it's potentially you know very lucrative, uh, and of course, on the back end, um, I think that you're doing a whole lot of good for the environment, um, which is important to me. And uh, we have some pretty stringent uh, renewable energy goals here in New York State, and uh, I like to think that you know we're doing our part to try to help the state reach those goals. 
Could you tell me a bit more of sort of the work you're doing at Community Power Partners? Sure. So when we were early on in our development business and we went to go sell our first projects, uh, which are community solar projects, which means that these very large solar farms, instead of providing power to one entity, whether it's a large corporation or a school or, or, or a utility, uh, a community solar farm essentially allows up to you know 500 individual residential utility customers to subscribe to that solar farm. In a sense, it's remote solar. Uh, and it was really designed uh, for folks that would like to go solar on their home, but they can't uh, for a variety of different reasons. And uh, the reality is, is that 75% of the people in New York State that would like to go solar cannot do that. And that's either because they live in an apartment building, which we have a lot of those. Um, they might be renters uh, or they their house might be facing the wrong direction or they don't like the way that solar panels look on their roof or their neighbors might not cut down trees, whatever the case may be. Um, so community solar is really the solution for that uh, and allows people to go solar without having any uh, without having any panels on their roof. Um, so that's that's how the system was designed and, and that's kind of what uh, what attracted us to it. And um, so I guess to, to answer your question, so when we went to go sell our first projects, uh, one of the uh, one of the funds that was looking to buy it from us uh, said that they would like to buy our projects, but they wanted to buy it from us subscribed, uh, meaning that we had gone out and we had already secured uh, all those individual um, residential utility customers uh, for that farm, which is not quite the business model um, at the time. Usually the, the folks that are buying the projects take on that responsibility rather than the developer. So we um, we were intrigued by their offer. So we decided to do some uh, due diligence on the industry. And when we did that at the time, we were very, very dissatisfied by what we found in the industry. Um, we felt that the folks that were out there uh, that, that had hung out their shingle at the time uh, to go out and subscribe these customers um, were not doing a good job. Uh, they really didn't know what they were doing. And we didn't feel that they were going to be able to to subscribe all these solar farms, but more importantly, subscribe them at scale, um, which is really needed uh, because there are a tremendous amount of solar farms that are being built right now in New York State, and all of them will not be built uh, unless they have customers. So we felt that we could do a better job ourselves, and we uh, we entered the market. How big are the solar farms you built? Uh, how many do you subscribe to? Well, the, the the maximum size for a community solar farm in New York State is five megawatts AC. Um, so that's uh, that's the maximum size uh, that we basically get, and and those on average. They'll take about three hundred and fifty to four hundred average residential customers uh, per solar farm. Okay, so and you and you go out and find those customers and then build it and take the whole process. We do. That's exciting. Well, what are some of the greatest challenges you have in in that sort of uh, scope? Convincing people that what we're doing is not a scam. Uh, community solar sounds too good to be true. Uh, but the reality is that it, it's it's good and it is true. Uh, the reason for that is that what we're doing is that we're offering folks a guaranteed discount um, off of the solar credits that they receive on their bill. And uh, the, the net result of that is that they get about a free month of electricity every single year by subscribing to a community solar farm. And at the same time, they eliminate the electric carbon footprint for their home. Uh, it does not cost anything to sign up. It does not cost anything to cancel. There's no obligations uh, beyond you know just giving us 90 days written notice. So uh, initially, when people hear about this and they have not been educated uh, to the to the existence of this program, and New York State has done a, a very poor job uh, in terms of educating the general public this program exists, uh, the initial reaction is that this sounds too good to be true and this is a scam. Um, unfortunately, also in, in New York State, um, deregulated energy has been here for about 20 years. 
years. Uh, and there has been a lot of uh, difficulty within that industry, a lot of bad actors, and they've kind of given that industry a very bad name. And a, and a lot of people have been burned uh, and they have a bad taste in their mouth. And rightly or wrongly, you know, they associate community solar uh, with that industry. So that, that's that been the biggest challenge is just really convincing people that this is true um, and, and that it's real and that everything that we're talking about um, does exist and uh, and they're not going to get ripped off. That's interesting. So often when we talk to, to companies in this space, it, it's really that educational component they talk about. What do you think needs to be done to sort of improve that education? It's slowly starting to happen. I mean, the word is getting out, you know, word of mouth. Um, but what I think is that I think that NYSERDA, which is the state agency here in New York State that administers uh, solar uh, and our solar program, I think that they need to do a public outreach campaign. Uh, they, they certainly have plenty of money. Um, whether that be, you know, through radio ads or television ads or newspaper or magazine ads, whatever the case may be, I think there needs to be some public outreach to educate the public that this program does exist, that it is real, that it is supported by the state, um, and that there are major benefits uh, for, for people to enroll. One of the intriguing things is that every residential utility customer here in New York State has a tax uh, that is on their utility bill, which uh, goes under the guise of a systems benefit charge uh, or, or SBC charge. And it's, you know, it's not a lot of money. It's four or five bucks a month, depending on how big your home is. But that money goes directly to the agency that I mentioned before, which is NYSERDA. And, and that's where the rebates come from for all these folks that are out there building these solar farms. So what I try to tell folks when we're, when we're subscribing them, I say, hey, listen, you're paying for this anyway. You know, you might as well take advantage of it because if you don't take advantage of it, you're paying for your neighbor to take advantage of it. And and oftentimes that will get their attention because, <laughs> you know, if, if you kind of point out to them that they're getting taxed for this anyway, um, you know, there's very few opportunities to kind of, you know, get something back per se from the government. Um, and, and this is one of the few opportunities to do that. That's very exciting sort of. And, and how many projects have you have you built today? Well, we have two companies. You know, we have our development company and we have our customer acquisition company. So our, our development company is relatively small. Uh, we sold our first uh, project last year. Uh, that was for seven megawatts. And we have, we're expecting to deliver or sell about another 40 megawatts this year. Uh, but as far as our customer acquisition company is concerned, um, we, we've worked on multiple projects. And so far in 2020, uh, we've subscribed about 25 megawatts worth of uh, community solar projects. It's getting there. We are getting there. How um, when you how difficult is it to find sort of the, the space or the land to, to put up solar farms? Is that an issue at all for you? Or it's a very big issue. In fact, I was just on a phone call with somebody about that before uh, before this podcast. Uh, it's very hard, um, and especially now it, it's getting harder because all the good sites have been kind of quote unquote picked over. So you know you have to find uh, a piece of land that uh, has a couple of characteristics. I think you know two that are equally important uh, because if either one of them do not work, then you have an immediate land is immediately disqualified. The first one is that the local municipality must have a solar law on their books that specifically allows for large scale solar farms in the zone where that plot of land is located. And uh, and most municipalities in New York State do not have that legislation. Uh, some have even put up moratoriums. So if you do not have that legislation, you, you can't get a permit. So in order to even get that legislation in the books as a minimum of a two-year lobbying process, um, which is not something at least that, that we're willing to partake in. Um, so even if you do find a municipality that has the local law on the books, the next thing you have to do is you have to do an assessment of the grid and make sure that the, 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 the plot of land has access to the grid, number one. And then if it does have access to the, to the grid, are the lines big enough? Um, do the lines have capacity 
for solar projects, uh, has another project or has other developers put projects on that line already? And can the substation handle it? So, you know, these are two critical uh, check marks that in terms of due diligence that you can do initially. Uh, and then, of course, you have to see whether or not the plot of land has enough buildable acres where we can actually physically build the solar farm because we cannot build on wetlands. And, and there, we have a lot of wetlands here in New York State. And we can't build in wetland buffers. So it's, um, I like to kind of call it the, the needle in the haystack. It's, um, it, it's you know, there, there's ways that you can do it and there's ways that you can kind of refine your search. Uh, but, you know, then of course you have to find land that's available, right? That somebody either wants to sell or to lease. So just because it might make sense for a solar farm doesn't necessarily mean that they want to, <laughs> they want to sell it or lease it to you. Of course not. No, no, of course you spoke about sort of legislation and many municipalities don't have the sort of required legislation. Do you think that's because they don't want to have it or they just haven't sort of, for lack of a better term, thought about it or actually implemented it? I think it's I think it's what you just said. I, I think it's the latter. Um, it's just not something that was ever on their radar until very, very recently. And until somebody brings it to their attention, they had no reason to do it. I mean, there's a few communities that were progressive and, and decided to do this kind of ahead of the curve. Uh, but the vast majority aren't going to do something unless they're asked. And, you know, once they're asked, uh, then, you know, th there's going to be a lot of initial opposition to it for a variety of different reasons. So it really needs to be a community that is kind of bought into the whole renewable energy uh, uh, process, so to speak, and and are open to it. And and not every municipality is for a variety of different reasons. In fact, there was just a big article yesterday in the New York Times um, about uh, somebody who, a farmer who had uh, leased out some of his land uh, upstate New York, and, and now nobody will talk to him anymore because they don't they don't like the way the solar farms looks. No, it's uh, this uh, unfortunate wind. I've had a lot of that, so if not in my backyard, yep. I'm sorry yep. to hear that. Also, goes for solar. It does. And it, does it help there that you can make it a community solar wind farm so the people who can see it can also benefit from it? Or is it still difficult to get through? Somewhat. I would not say that that's anything that, that pushes anything over the finish line. Um, you know, that, do, that does help a little bit. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it, I haven't seen that one particular factor push anything over the finish line yet, at least for us in, in our experience. What is it that pushes it over the finish line for people? Or just the sort of the winning statements that the municipality sees that they can make money from it, they can tax us, and that's a property taxing that that, that goes in the ALC. Yep, it's a good argument. It seems one that always seems to to be winning. You spoke <laughs> about sort of the, <laughs> you spoke about the grid connection. Is is that often an obstacle, or where you're forced to do grid upgrades, or well, sort of in yeah. certain parts of the world you see? The grid operators yeah. are sometimes more reluctant to to get the sort of intermittent uh, intermittent resources on online. Or how do you find that? Well, New York State, the law is, is that they cannot tell us no. All they can do is tell us how much, and okay. how much uh, how much it's going to cost is entirely up to the utility. So, if it's a situation where they really don't want it to happen, and let, let's say that they don't need the power in that particular area. Uh, they can make the cost so prohibitive that that just kills the project in and of itself. So um, yes, it's a it's a massive issue uh, in terms of uh, in, in terms of doing that and and what the potential grid upgrades can cost. And you know we have budgets, uh, and you know if if it fits within the budget, you have a, a live project. And if it does not, uh, unfortunately, that can kill a project right then and there. It's back to the drawing board. Yeah. Is any requirements on you having to be close to the the people you subscribe to? So I mean, it's it's obviously not going to be. 
behind the meter, this, but it's still. There are rules. Uh, so New York State has six investor-owned utilities. And the rule in New York State is, is that if you do want to subscribe to a community solar farm, uh, that community solar farm needs to be attached to the grid that is uh, owned by the same utility that you are a customer of. So, excuse me, in theory, you know, it kind of needs to be, quote unquote, in your neighborhood. Um, you know, that being said, the, the utility territory zones in New York State are so gerrymandered that that could not be the case. I mean, you could subscribe to a solar farm that could be hundreds of miles away, or you could subscribe to one that could be a mile down the road. Um, as long as you know that solar farm is serviced by the same utility company that you are a customer of, um, then uh, then you can subscribe. It does have the effect of us not being able to build big solar farms in upstate New York, where there's plenty of, of farmland, and then export that power down to New York City. Unfortunately, we cannot do that. But it doesn't have to be just around the corner. It does not need to be just around the corner, no. Because the customer is not getting the electrons in this case. All they're doing is getting the credits. They're getting the, the monetary credits that are generated from that solar farm. The electrons are going into the grid wherever the solar farm is located, and, and they go where they go. There have been a lot of talk about uh, sort of coupling storage with, with renewable energy. Is that something you could see being being utilized here, or is, or is it simply just sort of the, the wrecks that gets traded in that offsets it? You know, I've I've a, a funny story about that, and it's it's kind of a, it's a little bit off color, but not too bad. So I'll kind of say it anyway. So, battery storage in New York is kind of like you know teenagers with sex. Everybody's talking about it, but nobody's doing it. <laughs> and and that that's that's kind of what's been going on. So there's been a, there's been a lot of chatter. Um, you know, there's been some incentives that have been put out. They were gobbled up. You know, in a nanosecond. Uh, you have a lot of guys that have been trying to game the system, being that they're literally doing storage only. Um, you know, and and gobbling up all the incentives. So there's been a lot of talk. It's very very intriguing, but as of date, uh, we really have not seen that come into practice at, at any sort of wide scale whatsoever. Is that you think because there's there isn't an intrinsic need for it, or is it because sort of the models are not developed for it? I certainly think there's a need. Uh, the models aren't haven't been developed financially to to be able to support it. What do you think is required in order to go? I know it's going a little bit off topic, but sort of that that required for. Um... We need more incentives from the state, and they just they they put out a very small uh, block of incentives, and it was gobbled up very very quickly, and they have not given out more incentives. So at this point, it's economically not feasible. Um, to develop a, uh, a community, at least from what we do, it's not economically feasible to develop a community solar farm with battery backup storage based on the current incentive environment. So if we sort of zoom out a bit, what do you see as some of the, the, the biggest obstacles or most significant obstacles in, in moving towards a society where renewables is even more mainstream? Permitting. Uh, yeah, permitting is, is the biggest issue that I, I see as far as that's concerned right now. And you know, I think that New York, and, and listen, obviously all grids have limitations, but I, I think that in terms of, of moving off of you know, fossil fuels to renewables is that you know, people are really going to have to understand what that means and the permitting process and the ability for developers like us to build these, these, uh, these farms uh, needs, needs to improve dramatically. You know, we also have another old saying is that everybody wants change, but nobody wants to change. So, you know, what that basically means is that everybody wants everything to be green because it sounds fantastic, 
But the second that it has to be in their backyard or their municipality, or they have to subscribe to this to make it happen, all of a sudden they throw up their hands and say, no, 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 you know, let, let somebody else do it. So until we kind of get over that hurdle, and I think that, you know, permitting uh, is a big part of it to allow us to kind of build the, the amount of solar and wind and, you know, biogas and everything else that we need to do, uh, we're just not going to, uh, we're not going to get there. Now, that being said, New York State has, has really kind of taken, you know, some steps to, to make that happen. Uh, the governor, the governor actually just, uh, I guess, enacted this new law, in a sense, to, to make that happen. And, you know, there's been intense pushback from, from local municipalities. He, he's really trying to take the decision-making away from the local municipalities and, and make it kind of a statewide decision. And there's been intense pushback. And uh, I, I would expect that to continue. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, how long is the permitting process today for community solar projects? I mean, the best case scenario from identifying a greenfield site to having a project at notice to proceed, which basically means shovel ready, the best case scenario is 18 months, but it's it's much more likely to be much longer. And what, what would you like to see it go down to? Oh, is it possible to make a statement like that? It's it's really hard. You know, it, it's just, I mean, what do I like? I, I, I mean, I'd like it to be three months. Uh, do I see that being even remotely possible? No. And it is the permitting. It's not the, the grid side of the permitting. They can do the grid upgraded. It's it, no, it's both. We do them concurrently, uh, but they both, um, you know, they they both take a very long period of time. It's not like one's done and we're waiting for the other. They're they're both very slow. <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of time to run them in parallel. Yes. When you sort of look at the renewable industry and the solar, and you obviously you've been in for for a number of years now, there has been tremendous change in the last five ten years. Well, what's your thoughts on, on the future, on the outlook? Where would you think we are in the next sort of five to 10 years? Well, I, I, I live in a very, very narrow universe of just New York State. So that that's all I'm really, you know, uh, qualified. That's to fine, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's all I'm really quali- qualified to talk about. I think that is, as far as our specific niche for community solar, uh, what I see is probably about another two to three year run until the the grid is and all the good pieces of land and the grid is basically at capacity for community solar projects. I think that if we're going to reach our goals here in New York, you know, based on our Green New Deal, where we're, you know, 100% renewable power by the year 2040, which is not that far away, um, there needs to be massive utility scale renewable energy projects that are put in place, whether that's solar or wind. Um, but that that's really where it's going to come from. Yeah, and then I guess it all becomes either upstate or offshore in order to get utility scale in New York, doesn't it? Yes. As you know, sort of at Renew Executive Search, we work with clients and candidates globally who are sort of seeking to grow their business or by matching the best top talent with companies or also looking to sort of grow their careers. So what are some of the qualifications you think you need in order to succeed in the solar or broader renewable industry from your perspective? I think it's very specific in terms of what area of the renewable industry that you want to be in. Uh, for for what I do with Community Power Partners, uh, sales and personal, you know, communication and education, as you mentioned earlier, is extraordinarily important. Um, while at the same time, you have to have a deep knowledge of uh, of community solar, and it is a uh, an extraordinarily complex program, and you need to be able to take a, a very complex program and be able to explain it to a layman um, on, a, on a repeated basis and, and make them feel comfortable with it. 
as far as you know development is concerned you you just need to wear a lot of different hats you need to be very detail orientated uh you know need to be uh you know obviously know your way around a spreadsheet know know your way about how to financially model know know be able to go to a public meeting and and have people literally yelling at you and calling you a monster because you want to build a solar farm in their backyard um you have to be able to negotiate with the utilities so you have to wear a, a lot of hats so i think you know broad scope of um of experiences uh is very beneficial that certainly certainly sounds like you need to to wear a lot of hats to to make the project come together but when you see people failing it's in the sector so the, what would you say are some of the typical reasons for that for failing not having experience and or being educated um in all the nuances of the business okay so not knowing your details so really get get deep on those get into it what, what it is you really you really need and want it's not knowing what you don't know right that that's that's the biggest problem when when somebody gets into this business you could be the smartest guy in the world but unless you've been doing it you know for five years or ten years or whatever it is and you know as we like to say you kind of know where the bodies are buried uh it's it's very very easy to kind of get caught in traps and uh, and realize that you've made a lot of mistakes unintentionally so I think that you know experience um is is paramount um, in terms of success Fantastic. You you've been you were in the financial sector before. What, what, what do you say are some of the differences from from that sector? I guess they also need quite a detailed knowledge uh, of what you're doing. To you know, I was a broker trader. So what what this is is that it's so much slower, and and that is the the biggest issue that I've had is is adjusting to a slower business environment. And and so and that's, don't give up tenacity. That's something that I struggle with every day. Um, you know, I would like this to be as easy as doing a Wall Street transaction, and unfortunately, it's not, and it will never be. So, you know, that's that's more of a personal issue. That's more of a personal <laughs> issue that I have. But I, I would say that that is this is much closer to structuring large financing deals on Wall Street, which I did not do. So, it, for me, that's really been what the uh, what the adjustment has been. But even if you structure, I mean, you have to do that also. You have to structure a complex yeah. finance deal, but then of course you also need to get all the permits and you need to interconnect with the utility. So it's it's just additional uh, additional things that you need to do and additional skill sets that you need to have. Yeah, that's an interesting point to sort of bring up sort of do equity finance these or is it sort of debt financed or, or how do you actually raise the capital for these projects? Well, there's three ca- there's there's three levels to the capital stack of any uh, of any solar project, at least in New York State and the United States, as far as I know. Uh, one, of course, is just pure equity. And, and there's plenty of guys out there who have raised the equity. Uh, then about a third of it is tax equity. Uh, so you need to have, um, you know, either internal appetite, which, you know, some people do, but the vast majority um, have tax equity lines, you know, with, with large institutions. Uh, and then the third, of course, is debt, um, because everybody levers these things up to try to, you know, juice their returns as high as they can get. And, um, you know, the cheaper your cost of capital, uh, the more competitive you can be in the marketplace. But th- those are the three areas. Um, so sort of lastly, are there any sort of words of advice or counsel you would give for those looking to come into the industry and grow their renewables career or maybe going into yeah it's extraordinarily exciting it's a it's an absolute growing industry uh, everyone that i tell that i do this are like wow that's cool that you know you must be very busy there must be a lot going on uh, and the answer is always yes 
Um, so it, it certainly is is a massive growth industry going forward, and I would highly recommend this for certainly you know young kids coming out of college that are, are looking for a dynamic uh, career. I, I think that you'd be hard pressed to find one that is more uh, engaging than this. Um, I think that for folks that are kind of you know mid career and have done other things that have certain skill sets uh, from from what I kind of spoke about from the myriad of things that you need to do here is you know prepare to be humbled um, you know at least initially and you know prepare. To to learn and to kind of take a couple of steps back in your career path before you can take a few steps forward. Uh, because I have not seen anybody, uh, and you know, I've seen some extraordinarily experienced, successful people in specific areas step into renewable energy and be successful immediately because it, it's just an entirely different industry. It, it does take in there. There's a lot of things going on and it's a dynamic industry in, in, in many aspects as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. Michael Mullen, Managing Director of Community Power Partners. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Renewables Going Mainstream with Brand Hanley and Christian Crown, partners at Renew Executive Search. We hope you enjoyed hearing our renewable industry experts' stories as much as we enjoyed recording them. If you want to learn more about this fast-growing sector and learn how you can become more involved, please subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brand, Christian, Renewable Executive Search and the booming renewables industry, visit www.goforrenew.com. That's www.go4renew.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode of Renewables Going Mainstream.